let's open the word of the Lord. Uh, I believe it's the book of Luke, chapter 19. And go to verse 28. So Luke 19, 28. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. Let me stop there just a moment. He had just said the parable of the minas, which was sim uh, similar to the parable of the talents. It's interesting that just about the time that he's ready to go through his greatest suffering, he first talks about the importance of your stewardship, the importance of your responsibility here on earth. You know, when Jesus gave uh, five talents to one, two talents to another, one talent to another, he had taught that just before going into Jerusalem. So it was so important to him on his mind, they said, you know, let me teach this to the people. We all have a stewardship. And a stewardship just simply means that you have a responsibility. God has given us talents, abilities, resources. And in the proper time, we have to release those for the greater good, not just for us. Most human beings, you know, we, uh, when we're born, we're selfish. Babies are selfish. When they want food, they cry, I want food now, right? When they want toy, they want toy now. If they go to somebody else's ho home and there's another child that has toys, they go and take those toys and they say, mine, mine, mine. Isn't that true? Inherently, children are selfish. As we grow up, it is understood we lose that selfish and, uh, selfishness and now we become selfless. But the truth of the matter is no. When a person comes up to you with a gun and says, I want your money that you worked for and I want it now, that person's selfish. He didn't grow up. He's still immature and selfish. The reason why I say that is when you mature, it's understood that now you work for your own, right? So Jesus was saying, I'm about ready to save all of humanity. It is my responsibility to go to that cross. So people, before I go there, I just want to remind you, each and every one of you have a thorn you'll have to deal with. Each and every one of you will have a cross you have to deal with. And each and every one of you will overcome in your own life as you fulfill the process of your own calling. So today I want to talk a couple of minutes about the thorn, the cross, and the king. Amen. So, verse 29. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you. As you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anybody asks you, why are you untying it? Just say that the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and they found it, just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner asked them, Why are you untying the colt? And they replied, the Lord needs it. So they brought it to Jesus and threw their cloaks on the colt and they put Jesus on it. Let me stop there just a moment. Interesting that the guy thought that Jesus told him to steal. No, he wasn't stealing it. He was using that colt, but it's obvious that the owner already had some connect connection with Jesus. Because when he said the Lord needs it, obviously there was no issue. He just, yeah, that's no problem. The Lord needs it, give it to him. So there was some, there obviously some connection there. Maybe he was a disciple. Maybe he was a business owner uh, that had a family member healed. We don't know. It doesn't say. That's not what's important. What's important was that he needed to fulfill Zechariah 9 and ride on a colt. 
as uh, a king coming into a place of peace. Also was a humble thing. So he was coming as the suffering, humble lamb of God. And then it says in verse uh, 36, as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all of the miracles that they had seen. And they said, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees and, uh, in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he said, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And then verse 41 says, As he approached Jerusalem and he saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but it is now hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you into the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Now, it's not saying that God would do this. It was saying because they missed the day of their revelation, they pushed aside their protective canopy. They pr pushed aside the very God that would protect them, that would be with them. Hence, they were open to all the enemies all around them. And you saw that that was fulfilled by 70 A.D., stone there was not left stone on top of stone. It was all rubble because the enemies came in and there was no protection. They had pushed away the very person, the very presence of God that would have protected them. Wow. Wow. Father, we worship you. We bow before thee, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, Master, Heavenly Father. We love you and we praise you. You're also our teacher. The Holy Spirit, teach us. Reveal to us that which you would share to us today. Open up the eyes of our understanding. Grant us revelation knowledge concerning your, wor your word. And we'll be careful to give you all the glory, the honor, and the praise. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. You may sit down. A little boy was sick on Palm Sunday. So he stayed home from church with his mother. So dad went to church. And when dad returned, he was holding a palm branch. And the little boy was curious and asked, why, Dad, do you have that palm branch? And Dad said, you see, when Jesus came into a town, everyone raved palm branches to honor him. So we got palm branches today. And the little boy replied, oh, shucks. The one Sunday I miss is the Sunday that Jesus shows up. Jesus had just shared the parable of the ten talents. And then he goes on to fulfill his own stewardship, his own destiny. And it's interesting, as he's coming in, I'm thinking, what was it that Jesus was thinking about? I am sure he was very nervous. Because how many of you get very nervous before you have something very important to do? Anybody here? The rest of you, the altar is open. You can repent at any given time. Jesus, come right up, repent. We get nervous. It's just part of the flesh. It's part of the nature. When I have something big, when I have something very important to do, I get nervous. So if, if I have an important speech to give, next Tuesday I'll, I'll be in Philly giving an important speech. 
there. I get nervous. You know what I do? I plan better. I, I prepare more. I, I read my speech a hundred times to make sure I have all my ducks in a row. I try to not make too many mistakes by preparing. But he probably also thought about Lazarus. How, how many of you know the story of Lazarus? Raised him from the dead. And maybe as he's coming in, maybe Lazarus was there, part of the group. What about uh, J. Iris' daughter, whom he raised from the dead? What about the widow of Nain, or N-A-I-N? I don't know how to pronounce that town. Nain, maybe. The lepers, the blind men. Thought about all of that. He says, man, all these years I've been with them. I've been healing the sick. I fed the 5,000. But now is the toughest part of my ministry. Just had the Lord's Supper with them. I had that, that dinner that I won't have again until after I come into my kingdom. But now it's time to go where the rubber meets the road. This Friday, this coming Friday, I will have to go to the cross for them. And he probably looked at all of them. And he's saying, they don't know what's going to happen. Have you been in that position where maybe you have some, inf some inside information, maybe your supervisor, maybe you have to fire somebody, and they don't know it yet. And they come into your office that day. Hey, how you doing, boss? How's everything? I'll see you later. And you go, <sighs> main office just called me. I have to lay them all off. They don't know it yet. Or maybe there's something else that you might not know. I remember years ago, I got a call from Puerto Rico. It was my aunt. And... Uh, she had called to say that grandma had passed away. My mother was, oh, she was passionate about her mom. She loved her mom dearly. And I knew that about her. And my mom worked 4 to 12. So I got the call at about 7 o'clock at night. So they put on a 12, 13-year-old boy the responsibility to tell his mom that her mom had passed on. Does that make sense? So... Those four hours, I suffered it. I could just imagine myself telling her and her breaking down and, you know, crying. And hey, my heart was broken for the, all those hours. Suddenly, I hear the door at 12 o'clock. Here she comes. She's tired. Ay, mijo, estoy cansado. You know, my son, I'm tired. And she, well, she sits down on the table. And I go, Mom. And suddenly, the phone rings. Ring. She says, hello, hold on a second. See? Uh-huh. ¿Qué? And everything I thought actually happened. And I'm there just, oh, and it's breaking my heart. So she just hangs up the phone, and she just drops on the table, and she's crying. So I take the chair next to her, and I just put it next to her. And I just sit next to her. As soon as I sit down, I go like that. She's crying. She's, ah, ah. And then suddenly, as soon as I get to her, she goes, ah, ah. She's just really, ah. She's like, no, mommy, it's okay. It's okay. You'll get over. Ah, ah. And I'm saying, it's okay. It's okay. She says, no, you're sitting on my foot. <laughs> so... So at that very moment, we both started crying. So Jesus knew something the people didn't know yet. And as he started making his way, a parade started forming. People started acknowledging Jesus. They also had heard about the mighty miracles he did. And some of them had already been commenting among each other that that was the next king. And he was going to help them to overturn uh, the political scenario or, or, or the polit political condition of that day. They're going to get rid of the Roman rule. 
And so they welcomed him. King Jesus, Hosanna. And a parade suddenly formed. Um, there was one uh, funny illustration. Um, they call it Jesus, the wanted man. If you were to do a parade like that today, look what would happen. If Jesus had entered into one of our modern cities, leading the parade, he would have been arrested immediately. He would have been a wanted man. First and foremost, the FDA would want him for turning water into wine without a license. The EPA for killing fig trees. The AMA for practicing medicine without a license. The Department of Health for asking people to open graves, for raising the dead, and for feeding 5,000 people in the wilderness without a food permit. The NEA for teaching without a certificate. OSHA for walking on water without a life jacket. The, the SPCA for driving hogs into the sea. The National Board of Psychiatrists for giving advice on how to live a guilt-free life. The NOW for not choosing a woman disciple. Oh, <laughs> Jesus would have certainly been in trouble. And how about this one? This one's very powerful. The Abortion Rights League for saying that whoever harms children, it is better that they had never been born. Even he said that too. The interfaith movement for condemning all other religions. And the zoning department for building mansions without a permit. Jesus would have been a wanted man today. But guess what? He was also a wanted man 2,000 years ago. And while the crowd was praising him, the religious leaders of the day were plotting to kill him. Mm, my God. So the first thing we see is as he's coming in, the people suddenly decided to praise him. And part of the praise was the giving of gifts. Many people brought palm branches and threw it in front of him, sort of creating their own red carpet. Others took cloaks, and these were poor folk. There were mainly people coming to celebrate uh, the, the Passover. So you had people from different parts of Galilee and, 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 and that entire region. But they were not rich folk, so some took their own coats. Now, not for nothing. Would you take your coat and throw it on the floor so that a donkey could walk over it? That's a sacrifice. Today, if you do that, where do you have to take the coat? Right to the dry cleaner. So it's, it's a type of sacrifice. But it was more than that. It was something that was valuable to them. They needed their cloaks. These people traveled for many days. There was no corner dry cleaner. So as soon as that was messed up, that's it. They had to go back to them, sometimes walk in two, three days to their cities. It's great sacrifice. So they gave of themselves to make sure that Jesus was treated like a king. And a mistake has been made by many preachers that they say, you see how fickle the crowd is? Today they're saying, you know, Hosanna, son of David, and tomorrow they're saying, crucify him. It was not the same crowd. These pilgrims that were coming from different places were avid worshipers. They, they were godly folk. They were coming to celebrate the time of the Passover. The people in, 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 um, on the Friday, they were the Jerusalem bunch. Those are different people. So we cannot connect one with the other. The bottom line is they were worshipers. They were there to give. What is your cloak? What is it that you have to give to the Lord this day? And I submit to you that all of us are very gifted. 
We're all sensitive in our own ways. We all have discernment in our own ways. There's not one bigger gift than the other. Every single gift here is vital. It's needed. It's important. So when Jesus first comes in, another thing he, he, he does, which is very unusual, because he had never done this before. He, told, he tells his disciples, get me a coat. And it has to be a specific type of coat, one that has never been rid on before. I have to fulfill the prophecy of the Old Testament. So when he goes there, the owner allows Jesus to use the coat. See, so again, uh, how, how much does a coat cost? Well, if you were to go rent a car today, how much would it cost you? You see my point? So it, it cost the people in that day to make sure they partner with Jesus as he fulfilled his ministry. My God. So what do you have to give today? Some of you might have a teaching gift. Some of you might have a preaching gift. Like I saw some people here today who were preaching. I was saying, I don't got to preach. I got preachers here. I got a whole church full of preachers. From the worship leader on down. I mean, she almost, she, she started and she had to pull it back a bit. I was saying, let me throw my notes away because she's on fire already. Right? And then the guys here and then, you know, Mr. Military here. That, the guys are in trouble. Praise God. We all have a gift. We all have abilities. And every single one of them are important. Point to your neighbor and say, you're important. Tell your neighbor, you get to partner with God. Amen. There's no such thing as an insignificant gift or an insignificant uh, ability. It's all important. Remember what I told you earlier when that lady came in and gave two farthings? Man, look at it as something insignificant. But Jesus said, that's precious to me. So whoever you are, wherever you come from, wherever your background is, maybe they told you when you were younger, ah, you're not going to amount to anything, lie. Lie. The only time you'll amount to, or you won't amount to anything is when you refuse to give your gift. Notice, he starts this whole thing with the discourse of the parable of the talents. And the parable of the talents says that the first guy, he gave him five gifts, and he came back with ten gifts. And he laid them at Jesus, or rather the Lord's feet. He said, here, Lord, you gave me five, I multiplied them for you. Here are your gifts. And he said, good and faithful servant. You're faithful with the few, now I'm going to let you enter into the joy of the Lord. And I'm going to give you more. See, one of the greatest business principles is that you use what you have, and you study, and you perfect what you have, and you will increase. going back to self-leadership. Instead of wanting to be like him or like her, be the best you that you're called to be. Perfect your own gift. Hone your own gift and you will increase. And they will take notice of you. Same thing in the natural, same thing in the spiritual. Whatever it is that you have, do the best of it. Some, some people have physical gifts. So you put sheetrock up. You clean. Whatever it takes, you do it as unto the Lord because he's watching and he's being blessed by it. Hallelujah. Somebody built that chair that you're sitting on. Amen. Somebody built that, that carpet, or rather created that carpet. Somebody fixed the heat that right now you're enjoying. So much that you have to put the air conditioner apart also, right? Every single thing that we see around us, somebody built it for us. But when we take it to the next level, we understand that all of our gifts are somehow or another connected to somebody else's deliverance now you're talking about destiny. Now you're connected. In the same way Jesus came into town and he says, you know, I need this, I need this, I need it to fulfill my part of the ministry. Wow. Today he's still saying, I need this, I need this, I need this. Because now we are his body. Now we're his hands. Now we're his feet. Now we are his voice box, 
so to speak. So he goes, my son, my daughter, I need you to go to this home over there. I need you to go to this hospital over there. I need you to share your testimony over here. I need you to play something just to stir my people up to worship. Whatever it might be, you are gifted and the Lord will partner with you and work through you. Hallelujah. And as you do that, he says, good and faithful servant. The only time he said wicked and lazy servant is when the person refused to use their gift. And there are times we refuse. We just don't want to. I'm not in the mood. I'm upset. That one? No way. Yeah, yeah. People do that. They actually say that. And now, even politicians, they're getting very vocal. People in the media are getting very vocal. They even said, I heard it last week. That one? I wish he'd die. Just like that. I heard it this week on, on TV. Wow, they're getting very vocal. But the bottom, is, the bottom line is sometimes God will call you at the most inopportune times to minister. Sometimes you're not in the mood, you're tired, you're upset, you're offended, and God will suddenly say, okay, my son, okay, my daughter, now it's time, go minister. Huh? You missed it, Lord. <laughs> it's not time. I'll tell you when it's time. No, he'll tell you what's time. Hallelujah. Has it ever happened to you? Anybody here been called at very inopportune times? Especially in my job, I get to practice that a lot. When there are people that I don't like that suddenly show up, and I'm upset, and they come in, and I have to put the act on. I go, hi, how may I help you? Oh, yeah, that happens a lot. So they created that red carpet for him because... He was king. Second thing is they, that he was given praise. Praise as he returned to Jerusalem. Some people say, Hosanna, king of kings. You know what Hosanna means? Anybody here knows what Hosanna? Save us. So it means save. Save now. It's interesting that he's coming to save and they're praying, Lord, save. They missed it. He was the savior. They saw him as a ruler. They saw him as a as a king, as a natural king, but they missed the bigger picture. But the truth of the matter is that they did praise him, that they did worship him. When is it time to praise the Lord? I'm going to say it again. When is it time to praise the Lord? When is it time to praise the Lord? All the time. I get up in the morning and say, Father, thank you for this brand new day. Lord, I don't take it for granted. I thank you that my eyes have been opened to be able to see today. Thank you that I'm strong and I'm able to go to work. I'm able to take care of my family. Thank you for my friends. Thank you for my divine connections. Thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, I praise you today for the favor you've given me. Thank you for the gifts that you've placed in me, Lord. It was years ago, I used to go, oh, man. It was, uh, how you doing? Ah, same old, same old. But I thank God nobody here in church does that. When people ask you how you doing, you go, I am blessed. And I'm highly favored. And I'm expecting that I'm going to see a miracle today. And I believe God's going to work through me mightily. I know that's what you say. I just know it. I know it by revelation. Hallelujah. But the people out there, church down the way, all they do is complain when they get up. They complain about their jobs. They complain about their apartments. Complain about their children. They complain about their, their spouses. Not here. Here they go, man, I love my husband. 
I love my wife. My children, love them. Crazy about them. I love where I live. Love my job. My boss, oh, I love him or her. But the church down the way, always complaining. There's power in praise. Let me tell you, praise is liberating. Praise will deliver you. But you see what happens is you can't have two things dwelling in the same place. You can't have a bad attitude and a great attitude at the same time. One will push out another. So when I see myself getting into a bad attitude, I start praising. And I start remembering what the Lord has done for me. Amen. I thank God. He's delivered me. He's set me free. So I start remembering that and I get back into, into sync. See, because I'm a child of God. I'm a child of the King. I belong to a royal lineage. See, so if I start remembering the old before I was adopted, I, I might get back into that attitude. But I'm no longer a pauper. I'm, not, I'm no longer a beggar. I, I'm no longer a somebody that's apart from the body of, the body of Christ or, or the kingdom lineage that we belong to. I now belong to this lineage. And you know, he gives us an opportunity to, to learn now how to behave as kings and priests. When you first get born again, a lot of that stuff is still there with you. But little by little, you learn, you replace some of the old language with the new language. Amen. Years ago, when they would stub my toe, the footners would come out, left and right. Footner here, footner there. But now, when they stub my toe, I go, oh, hallelujah. Bless the Lord. Man, that hurt. <laughs> most of the time, most of the time. Ay, <laughs> King deserves praise. You know, we think our praise isn't important, but it is. It's very important. Say to your neighbor, my praise is important. Because my praise puts me into correct, it puts me in line. But also my praise invites the presence of God. The Bible says wherever the people praise him, his presence is there in their midst. Hallelujah. So, you know, the atmosphere I set either releases the power of God, creates that environment where God can work, or it releases a negative environment, a terrible environment. So when these people started praising him, they created the right atmosphere for a king to enter and pass through. Hallelujah. There's a legend about an ancient village in Spain. The villagers learned that the king would pay a visit. In a thousand years, the king had never come to the village. But excitement grew. and said, so we must throw a big celebration. The villagers actually all agreed. But it was a poor village, and there were not many resources. So somebody came up with a classic idea, something that would work. Since many of the villagers made their own wines, the idea was for everyone in the village to buy a large cup of their choice, wine, and, and go to the town square. And they said, we'll pour it into a large vat and offer it to the king for his pleasure. So when the king draws wine to drink, it'll be the very best that he's ever tasted. So the day before the king's arrival, hundreds of people lined up to make their offering to the honored guest. They climbed the small stairway and they poured their gift through a small opening in the top. And finally, the vat was full. And the king arrived. He was escorted to the square, given a silver cup, and he was told to draw some wine, which represented the best the villagers had to offer. So he placed the cup under the spigot and he turned the handle. And when he drank the wine, he realized it was nothing more than just plain water. So you know what happened? 
What happened was every villager reasoned this. So I'll withhold my best wine and I will substitute water with it so that it won't make really a difference because there's so many cups of wine in the vat. I'll be able to keep my wine. I don't have much of it. So the king will never know the difference, they thought to themselves. But the problem was that everyone thought the same thing. And all, the, all that happened was the king ended up being greatly dishonored. When it's our turn to give our wine, what are we pouring? When it's our time to give worship, what are we pouring? When it's our time to render ministry and service, what are we rendering? Plain cup of water or the best wine? That king was dishonored. Are we honoring Jesus in this week? And from now on? Or are we dishonoring the king of kings and lord of lords? The third thing that happened is as he passed through, he began to weep. I shared that a couple of minutes ago that Jesus saw their hearts and he realized they don't get it. They don't understand what I'm doing for them. They're going to reject me. He saw their hearts. Let me tell you this. God sees your heart. You may be able to fool him, her, Larry, Curly, Mo, whoever. You might be able to fool everybody, but you can't fool God. God knows our heart. He knows the intent of our heart. We don't impress God when we just do outward stuff. We impress him when our heart is connected with the stuff that we do. When we give him the best that we have. So I've learned, when I worship God, I check my heart constantly. When I'm going to say something to the Lord, sometimes I'll say, oh, oh, Lord, I'm sorry, that's wrong, that's wrong. I mean this. Or, oh, I, I prayed in a have it. Lord, this is the issue. Because I know he knows my heart. So I go to him like, like Abba, like Daddy. Daddy, this is the issue. And I'm upset today. I'm hurt today. I'm wounded by this. Uh, I'm offended. Lord, help me. So I ask him to help me. I partner with him. Or better yet, he partners with me. He gives me the privilege of being able to walk with him. Because we know in this life, this is transitory. Jesus actually not only came to fix everything here, but he came to give us an eternity with him. Jesus one time said, I'm leaving because I'm preparing mansions for you. I'm preparing a, a place, a dwelling place for you, so that where I am, you may be also. So in reality, all the greatest victories are not going to be seen here. The greatest victory, we're going to see it even after we're gone. Amen. While somebody's doing our eulogy, and they see our body, we'll already be with Jesus, celebrating our greatest victory. Because this is not our true home. We want to hook up our home like, oh, this, this is my home. This is my dream home. You haven't seen anything yet. Wait till the home, you see the home that the Lord Jesus Christ has for you. Hallelujah. Amen. There's a story of a, a gentleman that was returning as a missionary. He was returning after 40 years of serving in Africa. And he was alone now because his mom and his wife and his children had passed on. And they had been uh, buried in Africa. So as he got off the plane, he saw a great crowd of people waiting at the gate. And some were holding signs, others were waving banners, and he could even hear sounds of music above the shouting voices. For a few seconds he thought, can it be? After more than 40 years of service, all of these people have actually come out to welcome me? The 
welcome me home? Wow. But you know something? It wasn't the case. Actually, on his plane, there was a politician returning from a visit to Africa. And during his visit, he had been catered to and waited upon. All his needs had been met. And now he was being welcomed back with all of the ceremony his nation could provide. As he waited and waited at the airport, the contrast was almost more that he could bear. This missionary was heartbroken. For a moment, he began feeling sorry for himself. And he said, I started to pray. Father in heaven, why? I've served you faithfully for so long. And yet, look, I don't expect much. But it is wrong to desire. But rather, is it wrong to desire that there be some kind of welcome home? Something? Anything? Then almost, as if God had spoken out loud, the old missionary heard the Lord say to him, But my son, you haven't reached home yet. As Jesus passed by, he realized, he saw, my people don't get it. I am adopted. Through my sacrifice, they will be adopted into my family. They will become my brothers and sisters. They will become kings and priests. Priests. I'm going to make them part of my family. I'm going to do that for them. And all they were concerned about, or all they understood at the moment, was that he was potentially a person that would deliver them and liberate them from Rome. Is it time to worship the Lord? Is it time to honor the Lord Jesus? Is it time for us to stand with him? I say yes. It's high time. And even though all of this happened 2,000 years ago, every year we remember. We remember this week. And throughout the week we remember the passion of the Lord Jesus Christ. We remember the stations that he walked. We remember why he went to the cross. We remember the suffering that he suffered on the way. My God, it's too precious. I can't forget can't just say, okay, it's business as usual. It's not. So this week, I've got to reach out to somebody and let them know it's not just a story. It's actual history. It's actually happened. He died, but he rose again. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for you and for me. And now he's sitting there waiting for all his sons and daughters to come home. And he calls out to us and he says, I need your coat. Your ministry, that which I placed in you, I need it now. This person needs to come home. This person, I'm calling him home, but whenever I see a need, I will send one of my children to meet that need. Because you are somebody's answer. You are somebody's door into heaven as you share your testimony, as you share the gospel of Jesus Christ, as you share the good things that God has done for you. Oh, but you don't understand. I haven't gone to, to school yet, to, to you know, maybe discipleship school. I haven't gone to a Bible school yet. I haven't gone to seminary. Doesn't make a difference. Andrew, one of the great apostles, when Jesus first spoke to him, you know what he did? He ran to his brothers and he said, I found the Messiah. Come with me. And they came and they also came to saving faith in Christ. You know who's one of the guys that he brought? Peter. Simon Peter. Apostle, future apostle Peter. Andrew was the one that brought him and he hadn't gone to Bible school yet. He hadn't even got baptized yet. He didn't read the Gospel of John, Luke, Mark, Matthew. He didn't read any of those things yet. But yet he was already evangelized. He was already being used mightily by the Lord Jesus. 
Hallelujah. I close with this. I'm going to read Psalms 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His acts of power. Praise Him for His surpassing greatness. Praise Him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise Him with the harp and with the lyre. Praise Him with tambourine, with dancing. Praise Him with strings and flute. Praise Him with a clash of cymbals. Praise Him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord.